think that um, I am like a lot of us here this morning in that uh, I work at being a good human being. Uh, in fact, I work hard at being a good human being. There are a lot of things that don't come naturally to me or easily to me that I think are worthwhile or an important part of being a good person. Things like thinking of the needs of others before myself, recognizing and thanking others for their contributions, thinking about what others are experiencing in their lives and responding with care. All of these things, at least at times, take conscious effort uh, for me to be aware of and to do. On the other hand, there are plenty of things that come naturally uh, and come easily that I have to wor work to resist because they are not things that are things that good human beings do. Road rage, <laughs> foul language, selfishness, stinginess, those kinds of things. Do you think I really want to wear this purple and gold tie the day after the Huskies lose? No, in fact, Andrea son, she goes, oh, you're losing tie. <laughs> like, yes. But I wear this because anybody can wear a purple and gold tie the day after the Huskies win. You have to show a good fan shows their support after they lose. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> and the, these are the, all the kinds of things that I have to think about and work at to do, to be a good human being. There's much about being a good person that takes hard work from me. And I'm not the only one. I mean, part of being a parent is teaching our children what is good behavior, what's not good behavior, what are good things to do or to say, what are not good things to do or to say. Some of our educational system is designed to help us with these kinds of things, give us tools uh, to be successful as good human beings. For many of us, there are at least some aspects uh, of being good human beings. For some of you, it's a lot easier than folks like me, but at least some aspects for almost all of us that don't come naturally, that don't come easily. There are aspects of being a good human being that take consciousness and effort. And sometimes, I will admit for me, it gets tiring. It gets exhausting trying to be good. An additional complication for many Christians is the harmful teaching that has uh, made some of us feel that this hard work, this exhaustion, and the guilt that comes from failing are a part of following Christ. It's, it's kind of the essence of the gig. If you want to follow Christ, this is what it takes. That There are far too many preachers and Christian authors and Christian personalities who focus way too much attention on the actions and words and even thoughts of persons as being essentially the, the primary coins God weighs in the balance, determining whether we are saved 
or even if we are loved by God. And this leads not only to guilt when we fail, but on the flip side, it can lead to pride and arrogance even for those who feel better than others. Thank God for Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Thank God for this morning's scripture in which the truth is proclaimed with crystal clarity. We are loved by God already. Always. We don't have to earn it ever. We couldn't even if we wanted to, but we don't have to. Instead, we get to revel in it. This line from Paul in verse 8 of our main text this morning is one of his most famous. It's certainly one of his most essential teachings about our relationship to God. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. It is by grace you have been saved. Our salvation is a gift. It is not based on anything that we have done or will do. It is not a payment or a reward. Eugene Peterson notes that to call something a gift doesn't tell us what it is, but how it comes to us. And Paul is saying that salvation is a gift given to us, given to us out of God's love for us, not out of our own efforts. For Paul, this was absolutely life-changing to come to understand. Paul grew up thinking that he had to earn his salvation by following the law. And Paul was very, very good at it. In fact, he was, he was very good at even the tiniest of details of keeping the law. And he was very judgmental of those who weren't. But at one point, late in life, Jesus stopped him in his tracks, literally on his way on a road to Damascus, and said, no, that's not what it's about. Essentially, Jesus made it known to Paul that the law simply revealed how far from being perfect human beings are. <laughs> it sort of outlined, if you really want to be a perfect person, then you do all of these things, and no one could ever keep the fullness of the law because it also dealt with things of the heart. Salvation was never reliant on human beings being good. In fact, salvation was necessary because human beings aren't always good. They need to be saved. Jesus came to show that salvation was always about being aware of God's love and God's grace, and then responding to that with love for God and for others. John summed it up in that opening to the gospel 
of why Jesus came. The word became, the, the idea of God became flesh and blood and made his dwelling among us in order that we might see what God is, is about. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Again, John the Baptist testified, this is the one I've been telling you about. And again, from the fullness of the grace of Jesus, we have all received grace after grace, grace on top of grace. In this particular passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul is writing to counter the arguments of some in the Ephesian Christian community who are religiously proud. There are some in this community who think that they have essentially earned their salvation, that they have earned their salvation. There are some who think that unlike the bad people, the sinners, the Gentiles, they have lived such a good life that God will bless them. And Paul adds several thoughts to dismiss these ideas from anyone's head. In addition to stating it positively, it is by grace that you have been saved, he states it negatively as well. As he says, this is not from yourselves. Again, positively, it is a gift from God. And notice the contrast. It is not from you. It is from God. It is by grace. And then he again ends it with a negative. It is not by works. And he comes right out and says so why this is. So that no one will boast. Then Paul adds this beautiful line. And come, in the NIV, it comes out a little more uh practical or concrete, but for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Paul is saying that we are the work of God, that God has created us so that literally everything that we are, everything that we have is already gift because we were created. It was given to us by God. Life itself is a gift from God. This is the foundational truth of our understanding of who we are as human beings. That's why I went back to the very beginning in that Genesis Hebrew first scripture piece about this is the account of the heavens and the earth, how they were created, including how there weren't any plants or any things because there weren't any human beings to attend to them. And so God formed human beings out of mud and breathed life into the nostrils of human beings, and they were created. Human beings, man, woman. So Again, there's the, there is nothing about our life that is anything but gift. But further, even when we thought we were alive before Jesus on just sort of a, a, a bare, okay, yeah, I'm breathing, I'm walking, I have consciousness, I'm alive. But earlier in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he, he says, you were dead. 
before you knew Jesus because in Jesus' true life, the fullness of what life can really look like when you're in the right relationship with God and with other human beings. You were dead, we were all dead, until God raised us to true life in Jesus. So God has created us, and then God has recreated us. We owe life itself and any understanding we have of true life entirely to God. So anyone who ever claims to be self-made is full of something other than understanding. Paul is clear. It is by grace you have been saved. It is a gift from God. Now, I think many of us need to hear this truth this morning, not because of religious pride, but essentially for the opposite reason. I know all of you. I know how much you work at being good people. And not because you're trying to earn God's favor, but because you love Christ and you love other people. You care and you want the world to be a better place. And you want to do your part to make it so. You want all people to be cared for and provided for and to thrive and you want to reflect to others the love and the joy and the hope that you experience in Jesus. And so when you hear these words from Paul, it is by grace you have been saved, I feel like God maybe wants us to hear them in reverse order. First, to hear, you have been saved. Notice the past tense. It's done. You've been saved already. It's all okay. You don't have to do anything more. You've been saved. There's a, a place for work, but it's out of a fullness of gratitude for what already is. You have been saved, and then we hear, by grace. It is a gift from God because God loves you already. God has loved you since before you even knew of the concept of God. We never found God, God way before we even knew that we needed it, had already found us out of love. God loves you already, always has, always will. You don't have to work for God's love. You're already loved. The NIV translates what Paul wrote as, or as the, uh, the NIV tr translates it. Um, here is it. You are, we are God's workmanship. Some others have it handiwork. I like by much more the New Jerusalem Bible translation. We are God's work of art. That's the way the New Jerusalem Bible translates it. We are God's work of art. You don't have to add anything. You don't have to do anything. 
Think about it. You don't walk into the Museum of Modern Art in New York, find Van Gogh's Starry Night, and think to yourself, yeah, it's going to be pretty good when it's finished. You don't hear those last notes of Handel's Messiah and think, yeah, that's really coming along. Another couple centuries and woo, that'll be a work of art. Neither does God look at you or me and say, yeah, I'm really going to love you when you're done. It's not the way God looks at us. We're already God's work of art. Even when Paul writes about us doing good works, it's not about something to earn our keep, to earn our way, to earn a reward. Or worse, it's not about doing something in order to avoid punishment. Paul writes, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. It's simply about us doing who we are, being those works of art that God has created us to be, about allowing the glory of God to shine through us and to work through us. Uh, the, the commentators, uh, one's a Duke professor and one's a pastor in um, Durham, Verhe and Harvard wrote, good works are not the means to our salvation. They're not even our own idea. They are the embodiment of who we are and of what God has made us. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. The soul-transforming implications of grace are difficult to develop a sense of. They are a comprehensive, foundational reorientation from living anxiously by my own wits and muscle to living effortlessly in the world of God's active presence. It's not about us working harder with the wit and the muscle that we have. It's about us being in the presence of God's active presence and allowing God to work in us. We are loved by God. We don't have to earn it. We simply have to receive it and then revel in it, enjoy it, and be in it. We are God's work of art. Thanks be to God.